Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. One, two, three. It's Mackie and Judd with Rami. All right, welcome in. Insta start to the show today because we wow. want to dive right Apparently into it. Voice guy, get it out. No. Let's go. Had to cut him off. Rami Makloff in quarantine studio Q. Mackie and Judd here in the main studio, socially distanced, and we're going to start the show right. We only get about 10 minutes here, so we don't usually start the show with guests, but we're all salivating over The Last Dance, which is going to come out this Sunday, uh, parts one and two of a 10-part series on ESPN if you want the adult language, and ESPN 2 if you want the good for kids edition, and Jason Hare is the director of this docuseries chronicling the 1997-1998 Chicago Bulls season. Thank you for joining the show, Jason. And I'll start you off with this one. What is the number one best thing in your mind about The Last Dance, why we will enjoy it the most as an audience? I think that you probably think you know uh, who Michael Jordan is. Uh, You think that you've heard every story there is to hear about him. You get it. The Bulls were great. Um, I, I know that this goes much deeper. Uh, than that. So my goal for this thing is people of, of you know, I'm, I'm 43 years old, people of my generation who watched him play and watched these teams play uh, is that they, they have a bit of nostalgia and they, they reminisce about watching them play, but then they also learn a ton about what was actually going on behind the scenes and that the generation after me um, who knows him as a logo on a shoe and just a poster on a wall gets to learn what true greatness was all about. I was five years old living in Chicago when Michael Jordan was drafted. So I grew up with Michael Jordan, and the dude, and I don't think this is just me or people who grew up Bulls fans or MJ fans, he was like a superhero. He very rarely showed the human side of him or any chinks in the armor. Does this humanize him? It does. I hope it does. Um, That was my goal from the outset, was to humanize him and Scotty and Phil and Dennis and Steve Kerr and all of these guys because – on some level, they all seemed like superheroes because they seemed invincible. Year after year, it was death taxes and the Bulls in the finals in June uh, for the 90s. One of my favorite stats about that team is that every single time that Michael Jordan was present for day one of Bulls training camp in the 1990s, they won the NBA title. So it was a given that they were going to be there in June. Um, So it seems easy. But I think that uh, I hope that this documentary peels back the onion a little bit and shows you just how challenging it is and how difficult it is to have greatness in the first place, but sustained greatness even more importantly. 
Talk us through the process of, of this and how it came about that it was not just an hour long or two, but a 10 part series, because that's got to, that's got to turn into at some point in time, a, a, um, a daunting task. Uh, it was daunting, but it was brought to me that way. Uh, it was brought to me as an eight hour series. He said that, um, we're, we're casting a wide net for directors and we have Michael Jordan's um, involvement and sign off and he's going to participate in this. And there's a treasure trove of footage that no one's ever seen from a crew that was embedded with the team in 97, 98. Uh, so we want to tell the story of that season um, and Michael Jordan uh, through that footage. So it was uh, then my role to go back and say what my vision for this thing would be. So I just kind of buried myself in all things Jordan and Bulls for two weeks and emerged from that cave with a 14-page outline for what I saw this eight-episode at the time uh, series as being. Um, and I thought that we could do a lot more than just tell the story of that season. I thought it was possible to tell the story of the entire dynasty uh, through the lens of that season and to tell the story of Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen and Phil Jackson and Dennis Rodman and Steve Kerr and Tony Kukoc and all of those guys through the lens of that season because that season was so momentous on so many levels that uh, we could use it as a jumping off point to tell a ton of different stories. So what you're getting is a, a macro documentary told over the course of 10 hours, but encapsulated in that are several micro documentaries. Uh, Jason, you've also directed the Fab Five, the 85 Bears, 30 for 30, the Andre the Giant, 30 for 30. How does this one compare in terms of everything, really? How does this one compare in terms of storytelling, intrigue, uh, stories that maybe grip the audience? Well, I can say that it's tough to rank them. It's like uh, like like ranking your kids, but um, mm-hmm. I can say that, that all of the pitfalls um, – that we experienced in making the documentaries you just mentioned, uh, we didn't experience with this doc. So, you know, we had an incredible story with an incredible cast of characters and everyone was willing to participate. Whereas when you look at Andre the Giant or 85 Bears or, or the Fab Five, either it happened so long ago that a lot of guys are passed away and they can't, they can't speak for themselves and they're not alive to be interviewed or in the case of Chris Weber in the Fab Five, Chris wasn't willing to participate in the doc, and we didn't have his cooperation. In this case, we have almost every single one of the key figures is alive and willing and ready to tell their story in a forthcoming, honest way, and we have maybe a more compelling story than any of the ones you just mentioned uh, because of the depth of, of all the angles that we get to cover here. So we have the time, we have the resources, and we have 10 hours to tell you uh, – a lot of mini stories in one macro story. So you said he signed off on this. He was on board before even you were, Jason, right? He was. Did he tell you why? Was this was this something that that he wanted to do and he put in motion? He told me why not. I asked him, uh, "Why do you want to do this? Why now?" And he said, "I don't want to do this." And I said, "Why don't you?" And he said, "Because when you and the world sees this footage." They're going to see someone uh, who is really intense. It's really raw. There's a lot of behavior uh, towards his teammates during practices. He's an intense competitor, and we know him as such. Um, He wanted to make those practices harder than the games were so that when they faced the toughest opponents that they could face in the playoffs, it seemed like nothing compared to the way that he had been treating them in practice. So on and off the court, I think that he was a little bit uh, reluctant 
to let people see this without context. Now, what we have on our side and what I tried to impress upon him is that we have on our side context. We can sit down and you can explain exactly why you behaved the way you behaved and why you made this decision and why you said this to that guy during that practice. I can show you all of this footage and you can explain to me why, how you were feeling on that day. Um, so context is everything and, and honesty and trust in the documentary is everything. So I think, I hope that he knew that I wanted to tell an honest, responsible, comprehensive story and uh, I needed his trust to know that, that he was in safe hands that we're going to tell an, an honest story, but also um, tell one that, that was true to him. In your mind, how much differently, uh, good or bad, do you think people will look at Jordan once they see this? I think that they will look at him in a more positive light. And it's tough to say that people look at Michael Jordan more positively because he's one of the most revered, admired figures of our generation. But I think that if there's any, if there's any uh, drawback to his image, people would say, well, yeah, he was a winner, he was a ferocious competitor, maybe he wasn't the nicest guy. And I was um, interested to explore that with him, uh, whether or not that bugged him, because in all of my experiences, he was a nice guy, and he was extremely respectful to me and to my crew and to his friends and his family and strangers alike in all of my dealings with him. Um, So I wanted to know, as a human being, if that bothered him if the trade-off was worth it, that he has the reputation of being the most ferocious competitor in the history of sports, but he's not considered a nice guy uh, by a lot of people. And that question gleaned a eight- or nine-minute answer um, that you'll see uh, uh, later in the series at the end of Episode 7 specifically, um, in which he explains how he feels about that and, and explains, you know, his ambivalence towards that image and, and why he acted the way he did and, and what it took to be as great as he was uh, and why he is who he is. So I think that we got uh, as close to the core of him uh, as I could have hoped we would have gotten, and that's a testament to him and his trust in us and his willingness to be forthcoming. This thing was originally supposed to be put out in June, I believe, and as soon as we were all put into quarantine, the entire sports world, desperate for something to watch, was clamoring for this to be put out ahead of schedule. How annoyed were you by that? Zero <laughs> percent annoyed really? by it. Um, I, I was excited by it because we had finished some of these episodes already. Um, so we were having discussions internally uh, immediately as soon as the people online were having discussions. It was, it was a day or two into the lockdown when people were saying, like, hey, what about that last dance thing? We need something to watch. Um, and, you know, April 19th at that point felt like 2050. It, it seemed like a long time away. But we were all saying internally, you know, we can get some of these out there. How quickly can we finish the last ones? Now, to be candid, we're not done with the series. We're still editing this in our apartments in New York right now. As soon as I get off this, this call and a couple of other calls, I have to get back to my computer and, and start editing again with our other, other editors and send each other segments. And we're cobbling together the final two episodes as we speak via our home computers. Um, but we knew that we could get the first ones out there, and we wanted to, to get these out on a consistent basis. We didn't want to put out episodes one and two on March 25th and then say, okay, you can't see anything else until May 3rd. We wanted to see, all right, when is the last one going to be done, and now let's back time it from there and see how consistently can we release these things. Do we want to do 10 weeks of one episode a week? Well, that seemed like not enough. 
how about five weeks of two episodes a week? And everyone started to say, all right, that seems like something that we can all accomplish. And, and uh, you know, it's a testament to the people who, who we work in, in multi-million dollar rooms with state-of-the-art equipment. And at the drop of a hat, all of a sudden, the people who were in charge of the logistics of this thing had to figure out a workflow to get, you know, a global 10-hour documentary on the air from someone's home computer in an apartment in the middle of Manhattan. Amazing. Well, we're looking forward to it, and we know that you have uh, time constraints here, and so we really appreciate you coming on and talking about The Last Dance, Jason Hare, the director. And getting it done early. We especially want to thank you for that, because we're all Absolutely. desperate. Yes. So. It is, uh, honestly, man, I don't need to, mean to sound like magnanimous or anything, but it, it is, it, it's a privilege and, and something that we all take really seriously and that we're all happy. We can't give blood. You can't go give a stranger a hug. We can't go to ERs and help people. There's nothing that anyone can do right now, and that's part of the, the angst that we all feel. So our team is very proud that, you know what, we can distract you for an hour or two. We can take you back in time for an hour or two, let you experience some nostalgia, and let you have some fun with sports for an hour or two a week. Um, and we're really excited to do that. Jason, thank you. You're welcome, man. Thanks for having me, guys. All right. That's uh, Jason Hare, the director of The Last Dance. It premieres this Sunday night on ESPN and ESPN2 at 8 o'clock Central Time. Two hours, two episodes, and then every Sunday going forward for five weeks. And guys, that guy's with no baseball, like, that I'm guy is one of the Avengers. so pumped for this. Right I can't now. wait. I cannot wait for this thing, man. I really can't. I, can we just do it? Can we just get it done now? Can we just get it on TV now? I know I'm being impatient. I know I'm being ungrateful. But damn, man! Are, are you go? Are you going to watch show by show? Because you're the classic binger guy. Yeah. I, I do. I have a choice, Judd. Am I just going to wait, wait until all ten episodes are out? You could wait. As desperate as I am now for content, no, no. I'm watching. Right. I'm watching whatever they give me whenever they give it to me. Just morsel by morsel, Rami. Like be patient. Like this is the. You know, I, I was excited for Twins games and stuff. Like, this is the only thing really to be excited for in terms of, like, there's not going to be new TV shows that come out. They're not, unless unless they've got something in the can, you know, if, if like, Billions, is Billions back out? Like, Billions might be back out. Never watched Billions. It's a good show. But there's not, like, no one's getting in studios and doing shows now. So Correct. either you have your footage recorded and you're going to release something, Correct. or we're just going to wait for months and months. How scared would you guys be that this thing, the part one is airing, and he's, he, didn't, he didn't say how many parts are not done yet, but he said the last few episodes are not done. How scared would you be with that type of deadline, that type of clock ticking on you? Honestly, like, those guys, ESPN has so many producers, too, that if they needed to put, like, 10 extra producers on it, it's not like producers have anything to do right now, so... I've been in a situation kind of like this before. Not not on the level that he is, but when, when I worked on a, a Brewers postgame show down in Milwaukee at the end of the season, every year, I was the producer on the show. I would put together a season retrospective that was just pieced together highlights, interviews, locker room sound, music, and it was a huge project. Like, I would put like 25, 30 hours into this project before all was said and done. Mm-hmm. And we would literally be airing the first segment, and I'd be working on the second segment, and then we'd be airing the second segment, and I'm still working on the third segment, just sweat pouring <laughs> off my brow while this is going on. <laughs> so, Rami, are you afraid? I mean, this is your team. Yes. And so I'm sure it's going to be really, really cool. Are you afraid, though, that by the end of this, that in some ways – as a kid, or as a guy who grew up as a kid, as a Bulls fan of this team, 
that you're actually going to be more upset? Because, I mean, this whole thing is based on the fact it starts with Jerry Krause telling Phil Jackson, you can go 82-0 and and you're gone. I kind of knew that already. Right. No, I know. But you're going to find out, like, all of the gory details of, no, of the I fact think... that it does look like they took an NBA championship team that could have, you know, continued what? Yeah, God knows. Exactly right. right. So I'm just curious if Bulls fans are going to look back and be like, oh, I think if I worse. was, I think if I was younger and a little bit still more naive about the sports world and didn't didn't because I mean I think there's a certain age where we all come to realize, oh, these are just these are human beings. Like they're extremely talented human beings at something that entertains me, but they're they're still human beings, and especially when you work in the business that we work in and you interact with professional athletes, it really hits home and sets in that these are human beings. So I. It might take some of the shine, some of the luster off the myth that is Michael Jordan and those Bulls teams, but I don't think there's going to be anything in here. I hope there isn't anything in here that 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 completely <laughs> that completely sours it for me or completely that changes the I'm way saying, that that I look at MJ and the Bulls. Yeah, I'm not saying sours. I mean, it. The, the most telling Mitch thing Matt. to me is the fact that Michael Jordan goes on Good Morning America yesterday or whenever earlier, whatever it was. Quotes came out. I saw him this morning. And Michael Jordan has been mostly unapologetic for his entire career and life, mm-hmm. right? He has just plowed forward with very little empathy and has made his brand what it is. And when he is asked about the documentary and, you know, what, what can we expect? And he's a little bit like, eh, I feel like I might be portrayed as a bad human and teammate in this documentary. Like when even he has to say, I don't know, Eight hours, want some man. of this stuff out. Eight hours he sat down and talked. That's pretty amazing. At various times. Michael yeah. Jordan. It's pretty amazing. So we'll be glued to it, and it'll be part of our quarantine discoveries. When we My talk Sunday about is already Monday. planned out. Yeah. I'm going to watch WrestleMania 4 for Rewind Mania every Monday at 1230 on Score North Live. and then A great WrestleMania, by the way. That's From what I remember, it was. <laughs> it's a tournament. Oh, it's going to be a great right. day. Okay. This is gonna be a, Sunday is going to be a great day for All me. Right. I'm going to put some chili so on that's the first. stove. Oh, man. This is going to be a good good weekend lined up. Let's go. Can we just get to the weekend right now? We're pretty close. Not, We're pretty close. We have action me. movie rewind to get to tomorrow. Not me. That's we, right. That's I, right. I get too bored. I have never enjoyed coming to work as much as I enjoy coming to work. Watch right WrestleMania now. four in the two parts of this documentary it's, series. It's stuck at home. I feel bad. I, so by the end of the weekend, you're just tortured. Yes, I hate Sunday. Really? Yes, I love Monday through. Uh, Friday right now. Absolutely love it. I love, love I mean, coming to work. I mostly love like we're quarantine lucky. life, period. We're but lucky. like the weekends are great because I don't feel obligated to do things that I don't want to do anymore. No longer do I feel like I have to like say yes to gatherings. Or, <laughs> oh, that's true. <laughs> the problem is, here's one of the problems, though. There's really like if somebody wants to do a Zoom, if somebody wants to call you or do a Zoom, sure. you know, family thing or something, there's really no way you can say no. Like, what's your excuse now? If if someone says, "Hey, we should set up a Zoom happy hour," call, what are you guys doing on Saturday? Actually, my my dad called me today and said, "Your sister in law and mom are setting up a Zoom call so we can all see each other's faces and talk." Yeah, yeah and we, and we, there's no excuse for you. Like, what's your excuse? Oh, sorry, I have to watch WrestleMania four. Yeah, that's not going to fly. <laughs> Mom's not going to be happy. If Coming I do to that. work though has been a godsend, and it's great because nobody goes near you. So now it's ideal. Dude, I our work conditions now are ideal. I well, they're not. I mean, ideal would probably be not being in a building with other people. But like, you know what? Though it's so few now. It's so few, and like, no one's coming close to you, right? Uh, I, mo- I mean, yeah, some. Yeah, I had, okay. I had a couple of Pac-Man right. moments today. Where All like, right. I'm walking down. We have hallways and stuff, and you know, yeah. you're going around cubicles. And I had a I had a moment with one of the my talk hosts, Donna Valentine. Where like, 
we were both Pac-Man characters coming down, like coming toward each other. We both stop and like both go back the other way. <laughs> I stopped using the main entrance right off the parking lot. And I, t- I take that side entrance now yeah. because I know I'm almost guaranteed to never that walk past that super anywhere. long, narrow hallway where there's no way yeah. to. Yeah. There's just no, there's nowhere to duck into. Yeah, I'm still doing that one. It's tough. No, just run. Have I, I've had a couple people just literally run. like dive into cubicles to avoid <laughs> even like facing you when you walk by. Exactly, that's the point. You know that little? There's like a little. It's not even a hallway. It's just kind of like an offshoot of that long hallway where the concession machines are. Oh, yeah. If I see somebody walking towards me, I just go all the way to the end of that, like all the way to the <laughs> back of it, and wait for them to pass. Oh. It's the lives we live in now. Yeah, it's, uh, it's the times we live in. Um, so. All right, when we come back here, let's take a, a little bit of an early break here because we'll get to some sage football wisdom, and we can talk about... So yesterday was OBJ Day on Score North and Mackie and Jeb with Rami, and today has been no way Jose OBJ comes to Minnesota Day because we have prominent top reporters all shooting it down. So we'll give you the latest on the Odell Beckham Jr. Vikings stuff that came out yesterday. Thoughts, we didn't really get to this yesterday on our show, thoughts on Kirk Cousins saying that playing with no fans in the stands would be refreshing, quote-unquote. Also, the cliche Mount Rushmore talker of the week at 5 o'clock and uh, in other news later on today around 5.30 or so. Real quick, before we uh, jump into a quick break here, the Score North app is a great place if you're no longer in your car on a regular basis. The Score North app is a great place to listen live and on demand to Score North programming, whether it's Purple Daily, Score North Live, Rami, which is when again? Weekdays, uh, noon to 2. It's me and a rotating cast of Score North personalities. You can listen to it anytime you want, scorenorth.com and the Score North app. Yeah, Ventline, Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 11 o'clock, and Minnesota Sports Rewind Tuesday, Thursday. I've heard great things about those. The reviews are fantastic. Rewind today with Wes Walls telling stories about the 2003 Wild Playoff run was incredible. And uh, also, obviously, us, Mackie and Joe with Rami. All of our shows at Score North available on demand and live on the Score North app. You can also turn your smart speaker into a radio. That's what it is. It's basically just a radio in your living room or your kitchen. Just say, Alexa, open Score North, and you can listen to us live. When we come back, Sage Football Wisdom and an update on Odell Beckham Jr., Jonathan here with the Score North Download, Game 163, the 06 Twins, the 09 Vikings, Preezy and Suter, and KG's Wolves. You can relive them all and more this Sunday from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. with a Minnesota Sports Rewind Marathon on Score North on AM 1500, scorenorth.com, and the free Score North mobile app. Minnesota Sports Rewind is available wherever you get your podcasts over at scorenorth.com. Right now, we have all the draft and Vikings-related coverage you could ever be looking for as Matthew Collar has a draft simulation based completely on the Vikings trading down and looking at how lucrative that might be for the Vikings, as well as his profile on Gophers star Antoine Winfield Jr. as he looks to emulate Tyron Matthew in the NFL. You can go check that out all for free right now over at scorenorth.com in the free Scorenorth mobile app. That's been your Scorenorth download. Now back to Mackie and Jonathan Rami. Football. All right, here's the here's the latest. Here's here's our friend Charles Robinson from Yahoo Sports, otherwise known as Buzz Killington. He tweeted this morning, I chased the Odell Beckham Jr. trade talk. I was told unequivocally 
The Vikings haven't had any trade discussions with the Browns about Beckham Jr. No calls about Beckham Jr. and no discussion of trade compensation. As an aside, the Browns do not have Beckham Jr. on the trade block. All right. Charles Robinson, usually pretty ironclad. Sure. Very plugged into the Vikings historically as well. But just for good measure, Jeremy Fowler from ESP. Oh, by the way, Adam Schefter took that tweet from Charles Robinson and just retweeted times two, meaning yep. ditto. Yep. So Jeremy Fowler had this tweet. Brown's chief strategy officer, Paul D. Podesta, was pretty firm on the Odell Beckham Vikings rumors. He said, quote, in short, I will just say it was completely false. It is frustrating a little bit, obviously. I think it's pretty clear what we're trying to build at this point. We've done an awful lot in free agency. We're excited about what we have a chance to do in the draft. And we uh, are really building around a core of players we think have a chance to be championship caliber at their core. The idea that we would take away from that core at this moment just does not make a whole lot of sense and is really not something we are exploring at all. It is completely false. Your guys' thoughts on Everybody coming out to deny okay, the first OBJ of all, Vikings stuff. Podesta, shut up. Uh, yeah, okay. I mean, come Go on. Go back to money Champ- ball. Championship you team, ask. my my posterior. And, and Beckham was telling people last year, um, come get me, which means he doesn't w- want to be in Cleveland. And quite frankly, I don't blame him. That doesn't mean, again, that doesn't mean that there's not a bunch of stuff going on and talks. I just, I love this. I love that the same people... Uh, who are saying now and tweeting, you know, see, this was never going to occur, are the same folks who are saying, and Diggs ain't getting traded, all right? So let's just lighten up here, and as far as I'm, I'm concerned, it was a fantastic day I don't know. I thought it was re- speculation on scoring. I thought it was reckless of you to bring it up <laughs> on, yesterday. Mackie fought, fought and kicked oh, and all along. I, I yeah. said, trust my Wanted gun Wanted nothing here. to do with J- it. Judd said, listen, I'm going to start Ventline with this today, and I said, at your own peril. <laughs> 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 yeah, that's not how we do things here. But anyway, so all right, let's bring our friend in here, Sage Rosenfels, twelve-year quarterback in the NFL, and uh, you can find Sage as part of also Purple Daily on Mondays and Wednesdays at two o'clock with Matthew Collar. So Sage, yesterday was Odell Beckham Jr. Day here on Score North. We were very excited about these rumors, and then today, every credible NFL national talking head and general managers from the Browns and I think the Vikings behind the scenes have shot this down, but uh, what were your thoughts when you saw the potential? Like, by the way, my response to all everyone shooting it down is, well, the Vikings should totally kick the tires still on Odell Beckham Jr. if it's a second-round pick, but what are your thoughts on it, Sage? Well, my thoughts are this. You know, I just heard a report uh, um, that uh, the Vikings are shopping Harrison Smith for the third pick in the draft with the Detroit Lions, and they're going to have a chance to get uh, Tua. That's what I think. I'm taking the Twitter right now, Sage, and I'm tagging you in it. Okay, just for fun, if you could pull that trade off, it would be amazing. <laughs> Let's talk about it, guys. Let's talk about it. To Neil Hunter for the first and the. I mean, it was it it, it it the premise made sense for a minute yesterday, just because well, Odell Beckham Jr. was telling people he didn't want to play in Cleveland last year, and the Vikings do have an open number two wide receiver slot. Uh, but it appears that the dream is dead. So, so yesterday on on uh, the show with with, uh, with Viking deal with with Collar, we discussed this for much longer than I was thinking we were discuss it. He had sent me an email with like four or five different topics, and this one sort of popped up during the day. And we spent, I think, the almost the entire first segment of twenty five minutes on it. And, and where it does make sense is that, of course, the Vikings need a number two wide receiver. 
or another wide receiver. Uh, Aldo Beckham's really fast. He fits the guy that can sort of take the top off the defense. Obviously, he's a, a very talented wide receiver. Um, so that's where it makes sense. The the compensation, second rounder, fifth rounder, I think that's great compensation. That'd be pretty good deal for the Vikings. He's under contract for, I believe, at least three more seasons, about $15 million a season. So that's where it's going to be a challenge. How do you get a $15 million wide receiver uh, with the salary cap situation? Uh, you're probably going to have to get rid of your free safety at that point. So now you're opening up another position where you're going to need uh, another spot filled. So that's where it doesn't make sense. And then this sort of the more you looked at it, it made less and less sense. So, and then it, I, I do see, you know, obviously why Odell Beckham is unhappy in Cleveland. We discussed that as well. Of like, here's a guy who had all, all the success uh, in the, in, you know, in the NFL with the New York Giants uh, in, you know, New York City, sort of the center of the world in a lot of ways. Uh, and, you know, he's a sort of a, he, he goes beyond football. He's a celebrity and, uh, you know, all these types of things. He loves limelight. Then he gets shipped to Cleveland, which is like, you know, it's in the dark, basically. It's, you know, pretty much in the shadows for the most part. And the organization has, you know, no history of success, has just, a, I guess, a mediocre season, plays 16 games, 79 catches or something like that, nothing great, only four touchdowns last year. I'm sure he's miserable there. Like, I can, <laughs> I'm just, I only can imagine, like, we all know those guys that, you know, the, those types of players who just you know, want to be, Chad Johnson's lucky, Ocho Cinco, he's lucky that he was in Cincinnati the whole time, basically, in his career, that he didn't start in New York or start in Los Angeles or one of these, you know, start with the Dallas Cowboys, he would have completely lost his mind. Well, Odell Beckham sure is not happy being in Cleveland. He wants to get back to somewhere that's uh, uh, more in the, you know, sort of center of the the universe, I guess. You know, the Vikings are sort of in between. They're not a tiny team, but they're also not New York City or Dallas, but they have, you know, a great fan base, an amazing stadium, awesome place to live. I I think Minneapolis is one of the the best places to live, and it's it's a real city. Like, it really does have a real city. So it would be probably just enough uh, for Odell's big, you know, ego or whatever that might be. But at the end of the day, like, it just doesn't make any sense. At the minimum, just from the salary cap standpoint, like just the money standpoint of the whole thing, they just can't afford a $15 million wide receiver right now. Okay, I mean, what, are, hey, what, what are the... That is a pain in the neck. What are I the mean, three worst NFL cities? What are, what are the three... Oh, like... I did this time. I did this... Uh, uh, when I was a free agent in 2005, I was going 2006. I actually I went in with the, the by the way the video guys of every football team usually the most inter- like funniest guys of like an, you know they're just hanging out in there all day cracking jokes and you know do, so I I actually would, did this whole thing with the video guys of the Miami Dolphins the Hack Brothers. There's two brothers that were there for like 35 <laughs> years and we we ranked them one through 32 at the time. Wow. I believe looking back. Because I was going to be a free agent, I was like, you know, all these different factors, and, and you know, just not football at all. Like we just we talked about just city, just you know that that type of thing. Not even like the actual organization, but you know, I think Buffalo has to be near the bottom. Uh, I think Cleveland um, has to be somewhere in that bottom, uh, you know, five or six or whatever, because they've, they've had like basically almost no success in like twenty some years to be in the National Football League. Cincinnati, I, I got to think, is fairly low. Um, 
Detroit? Uh, what, 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 you got Detroit on there? Detroit. Oh, yeah, Detroit's Detroit, right no. now. I mean, it's the, no they're way. talking basically the Rust Belt at that point. All, yep. all those cities are, are, are Rust Belt cities. Um, but, you know, and, you know, not great weather and all those types of things. Uh, but when I ranked them, I also did another. I wrote a story one time for a website where I ranked the top five places to be the backup quarterback in. That's another conversation. <laughs> Boy, I love Where's that. The, you are before the Tom Brady left that, New England, I had, I had New England as the best place to be a backup for a year. You're never going mean, you to play. You're in Boston. You're still making like you're still making seven figures. Like it's well, whatever. Good. You have a chance to go job? to the Super Bowl. You're going to get a year with Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. Like those stories will last you a lifetime. Yeah, right? you're Farvier, right? Your Farvier was damn good. Yeah. It was, oh, it was. It was probably the most fun I ever had uh, in my in my 12 years. I absolutely had a great time that year. Now imagine, like I said, the Belichick. The you'll probably also be in a championship game or even a Super Bowl. You might end up the year with the Super Bowl ring. It's like 50-50, basically whether you make it to the Super Bowl. So that was like number one. You know, I think the Dallas Cowboys are up there because it was you know the the the, the world market and and the fact that you could like play golf and the by the way backup quarterback we're talking about here. So there's aspects of like. Golf in the off season, you know, like that was a part of this equation. The Dolphins were fairly high. I think, like this at the time, it was San Diego Chargers. They were fairly high on the list too, because that's it has nothing to do with actually playing. Like, what's a great backup spot? Like, well, here's a you know, uh, let's here be the L.A. Chargers because Tyrod Taylor. Maybe you could beat him out. That's a good spot to be a backup. No, we're talking about not playing at all. We're talking about like. Uh, being behind Brady, and then after that, it's like great weather, you know, big, great, you know, fun fan base or whatever, great fun place to live, you know. So like Miami, San Diego, they were uh, uh, fairly. I think maybe the LA Rams, and and then I think the Dallas Cowboys because just they're you know you're part of like the the Dallas Cowboys circus for a whole year. Each one of those places would be a great spot for a backup quarterback. Sage, should we believe any NFL front office when they deny any report that's out there? No, I mean I, I think that. So here's an example. When I walk into a locker room, okay, after a game, where do you guys go generally? A lot of reporters and media members, they end up going to where the cameras are, and they're interviewing Kyle Rudolph, they're interviewing Kirk Cousins, or I guess Kirk's at a press conference or whatever, but they're interviewing guys at the locker room. I walk away from those places because I'm never going to hear anything. I'm not going to hear Rudolph actually give me real information. Mm -hmm. I'll wait till the cameras leave and go over to Adam Thielen, and then I'll talk to Rudy for five minutes, and maybe in that five minutes I get a little something, something, right? So I never, uh, you know, really trust anything the coaches are really saying when they're in front of the camera. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, okay, so l- let's go back to this backup QB conversation, Sage. And I got a question for you. So if you could have had um, in the, the day the opportunity to go back up Brady, which would be awesome. But play for Belichick, who's a great coach, but no nonsense. There's probably not a lot of fun, I would guess. Or you, or the situation that you eventually uh, got into here. Favre as the quarterback, Childress as the coach, but you could be behind Brad's back. You guys probably had great fun in, in um, um, joking about Chili. Which, yeah. which, which do you take? Because I, I would guess that Favre and the fact that Chili was open to uh, having some fun behind his back might have been more fun than a Belichick lifestyle. Well, no, I, I think it's a very, very different. I think 
uh, you know, backing up Favre in 09 with Tavares in the room, uh, Kevin Rogers, our quarterback's coach, that was such a great room. There was such great chemistry in there amongst all of us. Rogers, the, our, our QB coach, had been in the, the sort of sport of college and pro football for roughly 30 years, uh, maybe more at that point. So this guy has sort of seen everything. And so he, he'd occasionally tell a story of when, you know, he was the offensive coordinator at Notre Dame or this, that, and the other. Of course, Favre, you know, Favre and Tavares are both from the south, and I was, like, from the north. Uh, and then, you know, Favre and I were sort of older. You know, Brett was nine years old than me, and then Tavares was much younger than me. So we sort of had, like, three generations uh, sort of going on there. It was just a great mix. And part of the reason we got along so well is probably because we were all trying to sort of overcome the chili factor, in, you know, of trying to figure out, like, what is the best way to massage this situation or do a situation or, 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 you know, can we audible to this play? Well, like, will he let him do this or will Brad get or, or will uh, Bevel get sort of overrun or something like that? You know, I mean, I felt like we weren't where in Belichick, you know, like you're dealing with the smartest guy or one of the smartest guys in the room at all times. And yes, he's, you know, Brad wasn't Mr. Negative all the time. I'll give him that. I mean, he wasn't a guy who just yelled and screamed at everybody at all. I mean, he was, he was fairly easy from that aspect, but you know, Bill's negativity, that's got to wear on you. But you know, for one season to, to, to have where you believe you've got a better chance at winning the Super Bowl because your head coach is so good rather than a, you know, over trying to overcome some of the issues, uh, I, I think you know being Brady's backup would have been really, really interesting. I only could imagine how many stories Brian Hoyer uh, will have uh, under his belt when he retires. But see, here is the fascinating part of this. All right, and if you listen, audience, if you listen to Mackie and Jeb Larami on Mondays, it's part of our alternate reality segment that we are doing every week now. We, if 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 you guys, if let's even narrow it down to one play, okay. If Tahi doesn't run in as the 12th man in the huddle, or if Brett Favre chooses to run for a first down, and Ryan Longwell kicks a field goal to send you guys to the Super Bowl, we if all we agree. Just call a run, if we just call a running play. Or that, right? Any number of those things, right? You guys go on and almost certainly beat the Indianapolis Colts. You guys had a better team. The Saints made pretty easy work of them in the second half of that game. If, 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 if one of those things, if, if just one play goes differently in the Superdome, Brad Childress is regarded as the only coach to take the Vikings and win the Super Bowl. Barry Switzer has a Super Bowl. I'm just saying. Brad Childress would be Barry right Switzer there. What are you saying about Barry Switzer? And, and while when everyone thinks about it, I think Jimmy Johnson's team, All right, Barry Switzer got lucky. And he has he was along for the ride. So Mike Tice's Mike Tice's team, Mike Tice's team that Brad Childress took over. I think he's giving Favre all the credit. <laughs> well, a couple of things. Tice didn't have obviously Favre, who had an unbelievable season. Jared Allen was a trade. I don't know if that was more Rick Spielman or more Brad or however that works. But you know they they you know Brad does. I think he did, did do a very good job of adding pieces to that roster. That wasn't just Mike Tice's team. I mean guys like Hutch and. Uh, you know, Sullivan did a great job as a drafted center the year before I got there, and he was like a sixth rounder or something like that. I mean, they were definitely very good. Chad Greenway, very good. You know, I think Brad's a very good talent evaluator. I'll say that. Um, and, and that is different than coaching. It's very, very different. That's in the scouting, you know, sort of world. And, and uh, that was that 2009 team, I'm telling you, maybe one of the most talented teams in the last 20 years in the National Football League. I agree. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. Did you watch the, Jared did you watch Allen, the Monday night game? I watched that game the other night. Oh, oh, dude. 
Oh. Jaron Allen was a monster. I forgot. I mean, his length and his speed and his tenacity and his uh, all of that. Playing at home was like should have been illegal against Jared Allen. <laughs> uh, you know, AP in his prime. Percy Harvin was a freak athlete. We had so many good players in that front seven on defense. And that team had issues. It, it definitely did. If 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 Jared uh, or or Kevin Williams, we we didn't get good pass rush. Uh, our secondary, you could find completions in it. They played a lot of zone, which means if you can hang on to the football long enough, guys end up just becoming open. So uh, when you're playing man, uh, you know that's a different that's a different story. And so there were holes in that zone. And so when, and you saw that in that game the other night with Rodgers, and when he did have time, he carved up the Vikings secondary. So the team was not perfect, uh, and uh, but there was so much superstar talent on that football team. We had different types of tight ends. We had Shanko, who was a athletic pass catcher, and then you had Klein Saucer, who was just like basically a right tackle, uh, and then you had like Dugan, who could do a little bit of both, Dukes, like just sort of get everything, Dugan. you know, just a, just a Swiss Army Dugan knife. Dugan makes a big catch, like a 21-yard catch. A huge one in that game, when five had like eight seconds, so I mean, that team had so many good things going for it, and I give Brad a lot of credit. Like, that team was very, very talented, and he put a really good roster roster together, uh, but I don't think we, you know, outcoached other football teams in that season in a lot of ways, and then I think that's, that's because of the head coach. Say, do you work with, with young quarterbacks, right? I do. Would yes, you I do. ever Would you ever teach a young quarterback to throw the football like Brett Favre? Because watching that game, and I saw a lot of Brett Favre. I grew up a Bears fan, watched him kicking my team's ass twice a year. Then I went and worked in Milwaukee, and I covered him for a while before he came up here. I remember him doing a lot of weird throws off weird platforms off the back foot. Watching that game on Monday night, he almost never set up, stepped into it, and threw the way that a, a quarterback's coach or a, 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 you know, a Pop Warner coach would teach a kid to throw a football. Yeah, you know, trying to teach somebody to wind up and throw the ball as hard as they can and still be, like, crazy accurate is not really reasonable. Like, that's just the way he – oh, he played like a baseball player where you really could just throw the ball as hard as you can. Most guys can't hang on to the football when they wind up in the way he threw it. Uh, But I will say this. You know, I've trained these high school – or these these, these, sometimes high school, some of these college kids, some of these kids coming out for the draft coming up. Uh, you know, as an example, like, you know, Ian Book, uh, he's a Notre Dame quarterback. He came and lived with me for four days right before this whole thing happened. And on maybe the second or third day, we hung out in my backyard and we played catch in the backyard. And it was, we played catch for probably 15 or 20 minutes. And the whole, the whole sort of teaching moment was just screw around. Screw around and fade this way and throw it sidearm or run this way and, 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 and throw weird balls, throw a no-look ball. But just sort of screw it, just like you do when you're a kid and you're, and you're shooting hoops. You don't shoot sure. every shot with perfect form. You, this way I'm going to do an up and under, and this way I'm going to do a fadeaway this way, and this I'm off balance. And shoot almost, you know, it's okay to screw around a little bit. That's, that creativity is important because you do end up throwing a lot of balls that aren't, you know, in this robotic, mechanical, five-step, one-hitch, throw it to him. It's not a perfect game. It's not seven-on-seven. Seven. So I think it's really important to add to a young quarterback's repertoire, whether you're a Pop Warner, middle school, high school, college, pros, to spend some time every single day making bad throws in the sense of, like, bad technique throws. That's so It's, it's going to happen. You're 
shot where you're in the pocket and some dude's right in your face and you look to your right and without even moving, you just flick the ball uh, you know, to a running back on some sort of swing rod off to the right without your, your feet aren't at him perfectly. Like this is not in, in baseball. This is a, a, a crazy sport. So I think it's important to spend a lot of time making unusual throws because they inev- inevitably do occur from time to time in a football game. You know, if you throw 30 balls in a game, I got to say 10 of them, if not more, are, you know, with, with off balance or you're running out of the pocket or you're stepping up in the pocket and making some sort of unusual throw that's not, you know, your, your typical just drop in the pocket and, and do everything perfectly. How hard did that uh, fastball from Brett come? Because, it look, I mean, he plants and literally shoots that ball out, but from the press box or on TV, it's hard to tell. How much was that ball smoking upon uh, his release the, of the pass? That thing was coming. I mean, it really was. Like the, you, you felt, you felt that it's a heavy ball, and that means like there's just there's just speed uh, behind it. And and you know, you play catch with Brett. One, the ball spins really well. He Four almost balls. always throws. He almost always threw a spiral. You know, they're, like Peyton Manning was not a sp- great spiral thrower, right? Yeah, Brett talk. was. Aaron Rodgers is. Like Steve, I remember uh, Mark Tressman told me Steve Young, he never saw him not throw a perfect spiral. It was oh. just beautiful all the time. Some guys have that. And when you can throw as hard as him, but also the rotations on the football, mm-hmm. that's really important, too, because that's how you cut through the, the wind and the cold air. Maybe if the ball's got some moisture on it, you can sort of cut through all that with spinning the ball a lot. And he had that, and and uh, and yeah, you know, I, I can say I didn't have that type of obviously velocity, but also that type of that spin. And when you play in the the terrible weather that he played in for so long, he learned how to probably spin the football a little bit more. But obviously, the you know he was gifted with an extremely strong arm and the ability to throw it as hard as he could, and yet somehow still be accurate. And most guys, as you, the harder you throw it, the the less accurate you become. All right, I got a question for you. You're a, a quarterback connoisseur. You are a, a student of quarterbacking. Who is the one quarterback, dead or alive, that you've never talked to that you would love to sit down with and tap their brain for an hour on quarterbacking? Mm. Man, just throw that out there for me. Um, dead or alive. You know, Dan Marino, when I got to the Dolphins, I remember one day, if it was like off-season or something, I went went in and talked to those same video equipment guys and said you know can you throw me some Dan Marino film and I they they had some video they showed me and it was incredible the throws that he would make it was a different game back then but that guy was such an amazing thrower I would love to ask him, like what were you looking at there because as I'm looking at this thing I'm you know who's going to be open and who might be open what the coverage is he would throw balls in the places that had no business being thrown to um and I I think maybe and I believe Favre said this uh, at, when he broke the, you know, it was a touchdown record or whatever, some record when one of his seasons, he said, you know, I, I believe Dan Marino to be the greatest thrower of the football of all time. Uh, you know, Dan would be one of those guys that wouldn't mind picking his brain a little bit. I, obviously, Tom Brady, all the things that he has acquired over the years, and um, you know, I'm sure he sees protections and fronts and things at a whole other level than than I do because he really, you know, him, guys like him and Peyton Manning, they really, really have that deep science figured out to a T. So Mar- Marino, you only missed Marino by like two years in Miami. Was he not really around? Did he not really, did he not hang out at a training camp practice once in a while? No, he, he would come there. I, I played golf with him, I think, twice uh, or three times. You know, he'd always 
throw a charity golf event or so. He always had like three or four events a year that I would go to. And I, I picked his brain, but not like, you know, not watching film or really get into football stuff, you know. Uh, it was more of like, you know, you know, making fun of, uh, you know, Dave Wanstead or, you know, <laughs> something like that. There it is. More coaches know. to make fun or, of. Or just talking, or just talking quarterbacks, uh, you know, in general. I had a chance to play golf with, with, uh, John Elway one time. Um, that was, you know, pretty cool, but not in this, none of those situations where we really like dove into like real picking their brain about football, you know. So I, I think, uh, you know, probably John too. I, I think some of those great ones of all time. Um, that, that'd be cool to actually hear them talk about the game and, and maybe as, as they've seen the game change too. I mean, the game just the game always will change and it and it, and it has and, and it's changed a lot since uh, you know back in the eighties and nineties when I grew up watching those guys play in the NFL. Hey, can I hit that quarterback in the face? I want to do it. That's our friend Sage Rosenfels. He is the journeyman quarterback correspondent of Score North. Find him on Purple Daily, Mondays and Wednesdays at 2 o'clock, and here for some Sage football wisdom every Thursday at 4.30. All right, go back to your quarantine life, Sage, whatever that Appreciate consists you guys. of. I just made a, sh- I made a shelf this morning. Uh, wow. And, Look uh, at you. I'm working on Showing shelf number two. Like, like you took a raw piece of wood and made a shelf out of it, or you put together a shelf from Ikea? What are we talking about here? I took a raw piece of wood, cut it into a triangle, and then it's in the corner of a room underneath a TV that I also put up uh, on the wall. And uh, But then there's obviously the aspects of the brackets and things underneath. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Woodworking totally has always intrigued me, and I've considered taking it up as a hobby. Would you mentor me, say, Rosenfels, at some point when I we're all out of quarantine? I you, but, uh, you know... Um, it's going to cost I'll, me? <laughs> maybe Is that I'll what you're getting you at? Listen, a circular I'll saw... You, come to my house and, and fix stuff. A circular saw and a drill will will take you a long ways in the world of woodworking. And a tourniquet. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not trying that. My house needs help, but I'm not trying that. (laughs) All right, Sage, we'll catch up next week on draft day, part of Scornorf's draft coverage on Thursday. All right. Well, I'll I'll, uh, I'll get back to you guys on that Harrison Smith trade. Please uh, do for the for the possible Tua possibility. Lions so want it was more. just something I heard. Lions just want something I heard. <laughs> Lions want more Sage. They want more than Harrison Smith. Oh yeah, draft picks too. Yeah. I hope this yeah, makes well, it on ProFootballTalk.com. I really I hope somebody picks this up. It doesn't know we're joking. No, I don't think so. It is. It listen. It's it's it is. Uh, it's smokescreen season. We all yeah, know that April yes. is. A lot of things, but it's smoke screen season in the NFL. So basically, Print if you the see smoke, and I'm exactly. This is where you, you see the press conference. I walk the other way because there's nothing that of real value a lot of times in those things. So uh, <laughs> I, the, the old Beckham trade never made any sense to me. Yeah. Bye, Sage. We'll see, see you next week, All right, man. All right, that's uh, that's our friend Sage Rosenfels. And by the way, quarantine life here and a month with no sports just peaked when Sage Rosenfels spent three minutes breaking down. His shelf making at home. I'm fascinated. Well, hold on. A I'm second. dead serious. I'm dead serious about considering taking up woodworking as a hobby. Matt, I mean, I can't now because I live in an apartment and I'm locked. Yeah, in don't it do when it. I'm not here. Don't do it. You'll you'll impale yourself. Don't take up. You're woodworking. gonna cut off a finger. If yeah, you try this. I was actually You're, I took a woodworking do class in high school and I was very good. My teacher was impressed by my work and craftsmanship. I did pottery too, man. Come on, in you, high school. You're I'm, also I'm getting near a kill now. You're tapping into the wrong expert here. No offense to Sage's potential craftsmanship and woodworking skills, but mm-hmm. Glenn Perkins literally makes like and i think sells tables and like glenn perkins has a wood shop in which he just spends all day doing this yeah drinking his beer <laughs> and good What's for him that? nothing that's Your my point, point. that's my visit, point i want to visit glenn's i have no shop. interest in glenn's woodwork i only care about uh, glenn's beer all right tell the story mackie you called, you called your shot 
You fell short, so you got to tell Buttered the audience. Yeah, right, come people, on, you can't people, just do that on the talk back. People watching on the video stream, which, by the way, you could watch our ugly radio faces here on Score North Twitter, Facebook, and Speak Twitch throughout the yes. day. I'm committed to this beard, man. It's working. Well, we have not standings today, <laughs> for we have standings for whenever we ask a question that is deemed a good or great question sure by the do. guest. Yeah, and we'll get to one that was yeah, that was, was thrown say. out on a different show today. Yeah. We'll get to that in the five o'clock hour. But yeah. as of right now, trying to forget it. I have ten good questions on the season. Judd has seven. Rami with four, and Jonathan with three. And Sage, like Sage, is usually good for one compliment of a question every single time he comes on. Especially if he has to buy time I to had think, him. and he had to think about that. I question. thought I had him. That's mm. a that was a good question. So close. If you make someone think for like fifteen seconds, right. it's a good question. And that question was, "What quarterback did you?" You're not going to try and finagle a point out of this, are you? No, no, no. no, no, no I'm just saying, like right. foul ball. I'm just saying, you always get on me, Rami, for I get the cheap good question because someone <laughs> needed a de- like a device to think. That right. was a legitimately good question that made him think for fifteen seconds. He didn't. He didn't reward me. That makes best... up for all the ones you didn't deserve and got before. So. But the best part uh, that was a line the drive right to the center field. <laughs> was he left you hanging by hemming and hawing? And ordinarily, Sage's no, way to was... buy time is to say good question. That was. So that I was, thought he'd say it. That was Tory Hunter leaping at the wall and <laughs> snatching it. <laughs> that, that's what that was. Yeah. <laughs> I thought he'd say it. I thought he was going to do it because he's like, well, um. Son of a. And then Jonathan goes, nope, foul ball. No good. All right. Well, we, we do have one up for review later in the show that we will play back here for you. Whoa. In other news a at 530? on this or is this no, for just, sh- I mean, oh, okay. by review, I just mean like it's from a different show. Okay, we need right, to bring right, it to the right. show. I, we'll that play it. controversy. No, I don't, I don't think there's controversy. Pretty clear cut. It's pretty we'll clear cut. Right. <laughs> Just cocky. Nice beard, Easy, Rami. You're nice averaging, beard you're averaging one a month, okay? Five, five down. Five I'll down. write that down, though. <laughs> Not very well. All right. When we come back here, it's the cliche Mount Rushmore talker of the week on Mackie and Judd with Rami. Powered in part by our friends at Luther Brookdale Toyota on the corner of 694 and Brooklyn Boulevard. Uh, they've been friends of mine and my family's going back 30-plus years. And Luther Brookdale Toyota just wants you to know two things. Number one, they hope you and your family are staying healthy. And as an approved essential service, they are open for business if you need them. If you do need service work on your vehicle right now and things happen, the world continues to spin, albeit maybe at a slower rate, uh, Luther Brookdale Toyota is uh, is here, and they have set up a no-contact service where you either make arrangements for a vehicle to be picked up at your home, or you can drop it off at the dealership, and after your service is complete, your car will be thoroughly cleaned, and you can review and check out electronically without even entering the dealership. If you do want to arrange to shop for a vehicle, you can browse the inventory online at LutherBrookdaleToyota.com and make arrangements for a thoroughly cleaned vehicle to be brought to you for a test drive. So thank you from Luther Brookdale Toyota to you, the Mackie and Jeb with Rami listeners. And um, they're doing their best during these tough times to make it easy for you and your family if you do need service work on your vehicles. Mackie and Jeb with Rami here on Score North. Minnesota sports fans, we know you're doing your best to stay home, and we're here for you at Score North through every step of the coronavirus pandemic. Got something to say about Minnesota sports? Want to tell us why we're wrong, perhaps? Leave us a mic drop message on the free Score North app. You may even hear yourself on Score North on AM 1500, scorenorth.com, or that Score North mobile app. I feel like I want more crack. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. 
It's Mackie and Judd with Rami. Mount Rushmore is easy. It's the cliche Mount Rushmore Sports Talker of the Week with Mackie, Judd, and Rami. That is why I would put him on the Mount Rushmore. Those would be my four. All right, gentlemen. Today's cliche Mount Rushmore Talker is in honor of 24 hours of Odell Beckham Jr. speculation that was shot down by pretty much every credible national NFL reporter today. All due respect to our guy Moose on WFAN. If you want that full interview, Score North Live, podcastable, Apple, Spotify, and the Score North app from yesterday. But let's, let's pay homage to our friend Odell Beckham Jr., who I think has cemented himself in the last five years or so as one of the diva wide receivers in the NFL. So here's how this works. We need a list, and we need four at the end of it. Let's just start putting names on the board. Who needs to be in this discussion of Mount Rushmore, Diva wide receivers in NFL history? Can I ask Judd a question before we get into putting together the list of people who are candidates? Mm -hmm. Are Diva wide receivers a relatively new thing? Because... When I was young, like in the 80s and early 90s, Judd, I don't remember diva wide receivers really being that prominent a thing. Like Jerry Rice was the wide receiver of my childhood growing up and just soft-spoken, quiet, never caused a problem, team guy. Is this a relatively new thing? I would say yes, and I would say that I've got two names written down that I think are two of the first, and this will put a time context on this conversation. I've got T.O. Michael Irvin written down. Yeah. Irvin is like the godfather of he might wide receivers. And that's, yeah. that's circa 1990-ish, right? No. Yeah, well, T.O. came in in like the mid-90s. 95 Irvin was probably. like 89 or 90 okay. when he came in. Yeah. yeah. So, so yes, as far because guys like Rice and Largent were model teammates. Yeah, like Lynn, Lynn Swan. I'm trying to think of all the John prominent Stars. receivers. Rashad, Fred Bolitnikoff was uh, he was oh, Fred he was a diva, and then he always needed just a bottle of stickum. You know, he would get mad. Hey, Tormented the Vikings in that '77 Super Bowl game, but yeah, it wasn't. Uh, so I, I would say yes. I would say that it probably starts somewhere around 1990 or just after that. Okay. So all right, Rami, what are some names that, that have to be in this discussion here? I mean, we're in Minnesota. We start with Randy Moss, right? Yeah, we start with Randy Moss. I'll in terms play of when I want to play, and the Randy ratio were two things that. Stand out during that era. Yeah, so Ray, Randy Moss is not just a candidate. I think he's a lock, right? <laughs> well, he might be. Chad Ochocinco is another guy who I think ne- deserves consideration. We mentioned Terrell Owens. Yes, um, Odell Beckham Jr. He's definitely he definitely deserves consideration. Um, who else? I'll give you a couple more here. All right. All right, because it's it it is going to be really hard to narrow this down to four because we've already said like well Michael Irvin's the Godfather right and Terrell Owens did push-ups in his driveway and Randy Moss has to be on the list yep. and then we just named a bunch of other guys well what about these four or five well let's go back to Chad Ochocinco for a second then I'll put four or five new names on the board Chad Ochocinco was usually more concerned about his touchdown celebration. And changing his name to Chad Ochocinco than anything that actually CD happened on the celebrations field. were fantastic, man. They were. Hall of Fame jacket. He I put agree. on a Hall of Fame jacket after and touchdown. And he helped get the rule lifted that, like, well, you can't use a prop anymore right. still. And he would get flight for that. He once resuscitated a football. But his, he did. <laughs> CPR in a football. But his, you know, his creativity from uh, week to week at least got the NFL to say, all right, let's at least yeah. allow group celebrations, right? All right. There was once a wide receiver who wrote a book called Just Throw Me the Damn Ball. Give me a damn ball, yeah. Keyshawn Johnson. He's on my list. Antonio Brown is 
the newest example. He's not only a diva, but he's also off his rocker. I didn't think of that. Yeah. Does Antonio Brown, because of the problems, does he enter another class that almost we shouldn't concern ourselves with him? I'm it's, just asking it's this. A I'm not. Question. I'm not passing judgment here, but he has so many problems that go so far beyond sports and football. It's a worthwhile question. Where do you draw the line between diva and just mentally right. unstable, unstable and troubled, right? Correct. A few other ones, I don't know if I would put him on the Mount Rushmore, but Des Bryant for just sideline antics. True. You know, the talent-to-baggage ratio there started to weigh heavily in the favor of baggage. Mm-hmm. Brandon Marshall had some mental problems that he's open about, but once punted footballs in practice so yeah. that he could get dismissed. That's, right? that's pretty diva-ish. But I think the off-the-field problems, again, with him probably take him to the Antonio Brown class. Right. I'm trying to think of guys who were who didn't have um, personality issues but were just divas. How about Plexico Burris? One shot himself. Mm. One shot himself in is the that leg. Diva behavior. He we had countless teams. <laughs> is, keeping a, is keeping a gun in the waistband of your sweatpants diva behavior? How do you do that? I don't know. Doug. Okay, you know what? Explain. Well, you this never to seen me. Mariah Carey at a club, okay? But I mean, what what type of, what type of sweatpants can one buy that that you that you could support a piece in there? I don't think those are out there, Judd. I think that was the problem. No, but I mean, like, okay. <laughs> right well, now. I should go and say, yeah, I need, some, I need some bigger pockets. I think that's why he had a hole in his thigh. I think we just got to like, the bottom of it. In my sweatpants right now, if I tried to put a gun in my sweatpants, it's just going to fall right through, hit my foot, and then likely with plaques go, go, go off. Yeah. I don't no, understand I, I where the waistband right, support for said gun comes from. And I don't carry. But I'm just curious about this. Just to, cl- just, just to, just to clarify. <laughs> just I, do not have a, I do not have a concealed carry permit, and I don't carry. In case Treat- anybody has ever come across Judd and thought, that guy looks like he carries. <laughs> Judd is looking for a pair of sweatpants that will hold his gun up. Treat him at Jay Zolgad, please. I'm just, I just don't want to know what these sweatpants look like. I All always right, so wondered that. So we're moving Plexico Burris into more of a reckless category That's than a diva category. I'm fine with that. We're moving Antonio Brown and Brandon Marshall into the, they might have, well, in Brandon Marshall's case, we know like he's been open about it, have had mental issues, we'll take them off the list. Yep. All right, so that, that leaves us with Terrell Owens, OBJ, Chad Ochocinco, mm-hmm. Michael Irvin, mm-hmm. Randy Moss. Mm-hmm. I'm going to move Des Bryant off this because he's just like... He's just kind of do we have do we do we have to pay homage to those who came along first and to Rami's question uh, to start the segment sort of establish this type of personality for that position. So like Michael Irvin. So is OBJ while he continues the um, trend is OBJ less of a necessity on this Mount Rushmore than a guy like. Irvin, who, or, or, or at least guys who started things. You know, Chad Johnson started some things, right? Resuscitated football, put a Hall of Fame jacket on. Remember when he took the pylon and golf putted the football after he scored good. a touchdown? Yeah, that was great. Remember, you know, well. actually, Joe Horn, I wouldn't put in the oh, Rushmore, but Joe Horn. Joe Horn once, when cell phones were the size of, the of your shoe, Joe Horn took the time before actually, the no, game started. That was a flip phone. That was a flip phone he took out. That wasn't That's a, right, that wasn't right. a big brick phone. That but was it was a, a flip phone. It was a pretty big flip phone though, if I remember it. I'm gonna look. I remember it being kind of small. It was actually. a flip. Yeah, he planted it in the goal. But post. think about how early he had to go out there, right? Because oh, yeah. like he had to go out there at least two hours before the game, before actually, anyone else is is wandering around the field, and then had to be sure that he was going to catch a touchdown pass on that side of the field. 
You know, and, what? and Joe Horn was good, but he wasn't guaranteed to catch a touchdown pass in the game, let alone on that side of the field, unless he had a phone also hidden in yeah, the no, other. It was, goal it was kind of a small flip phone. It was like it was like Captain Kirk's uh, captain's log okay. thing that he used to. Okay. All right. I I think that that the playmaker has to be on this list. Is Michael Irvin the playmaker? Yes. Okay. I think Michael Irvin has to be. So he's one. Rami, you agree? Yes. I honestly think I the, mean, the he's guy, like the George Washington, like Judd just said. He's like he's he lived in the White House, exactly. <laughs> or at least <laughs> true. Or at least he took his That's true. his friends to the White House. I honestly, I think Keyshawn Johnson. Keyshawn wrote a book yep. called wrote "Give a Me book the Damn called Ball." Give me the damn yeah, ball. you know what? That might that probably earns him a spot on the Mount Rushmore of diva wide receivers. So we got two of our four now, right? I have no problem with that. And those. we've got three left here. Terrell Keyshawn's Owens. like Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> Michael Irvin's George Washington. Yep. <laughs> so Terrell Owens. And don't ask me who the other two guys are on Mount Rushmore, because I'm not sure. That is one boring place, by the way, to go. I've been there once. Oh, is it boring? Never been. Oh, it's not exciting. The Black Hills, too. A lot of driving around. It's not very exciting. <laughs> it's good for social distancing. Well, like, so, so Go there now. So with Mount Rushmore, how close do you get to the actual faces? Uh, when I was there, I was there when I was fourteen, so it's been a long, long, long time. But it felt I think you're standing that way down below, and it's I mean you're not really close. It's pretty amazing. Like if you think about it, it's great work. But I mean, it you is can get the postcard. Work. But get the postcard. You don't need to go. It's like the concert's not <laughs> worth the payoff. Just get the get the album. The four presents, ladies and gentlemen. Please put your hand together for be, the four presents. There's going to be some nightlife around somewhere, right? There's going to be a bar or something. The, in it's the Black Hills? South Dakota. Yeah, no, South man. Dakota? One time. There's, there's, there's life in South Dakota. Buffalo Burgers. I'm saying there's got to be a place with wings or something. Buffalo Burgers is where it's at there. And those I got a bunch of people bad. tweeting me Chris Carter should be under consideration. Ooh, is he a diva? Oh, Very yeah, much yeah. so. Uh, that's a good Vikings one. Wow. And, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, Chris Carter we think of that one? was kind of a sneaky diva, right? Like he, he always. Say you had to have a fall guy. That's right. No, he's a diva. That's. A, I mean, I don't know if he gets in the Mount he's Rushmore. He's not Mount but that's Rushmore, but he's worth. He's got to be in the conversation for sure. Okay, so what's the conversation? So we have Michael Irvin and Keyshawn Johnson in the Mount Rushmore. Irvin and Keyshawn. And okay. the other three guys we're debating here. We need two of these three, unless somebody else comes up with a name that we're missing here. All right, Tara Lowens, Chad Ochocinco, and Randy Moss. I think To is a no-brainer, isn't he? I agree. Yes, this he dude is. held he out of practice. Be. And then called reporters to his house to do shirtless sit-ups in his driveway. While his agent said, next question. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The always, exactly. The always likable Drew Rosenhaus. And I got to say. Yeah, I'm with Rami. Between Chad Ochocinco and Randy Moss, Randy Moss definitely had moments, right? The, the entire 2010 season. Ochocinco's more of a diva. Ochocinco is. Ochocinco's more of a distraction, more of a diva, more high that. maintenance. I'm going to Owens? No. No, no, no. The oh, Randy Moss. Okay. So we put T.O. on, right? Okay. Right. And Chad Ochocinco changed his name to Ochocinco. That's true. Yeah, yeah that's true. Oh, man, Randy Moss? Hold on. I thought Randy Moss was a no-brainer when we first started this discussion. And I'm not saying you guys aren't making some valid points, but <laughs> to you. me, Randy Moss was a no-brainer. And you know what? Odell Beckham Jr. is, to me, kind of a- This dude got into a fight with a kicking net and then apologized to it and kissed it the next week. <laughs> That is pretty amazing. Right? Yeah, but I feel like those who came before him paved that way, and we'd be leaving off some guys that came before him. I'm with Judd on this. I think it's not that OBJ isn't a diva. It's not that Randy Moss isn't a diva. It's that 
Chad Ochocinco from week to week. So are we saying we like Mount Rushmore? Penalties and fines yeah, to exactly. do touchdown are, celebrations. Are we saying like Mount Rushmore yes. that it's already been carved, but greats have come since? Right. Hey, okay. FDR, right. sorry, buddy. Like, <laughs> Fair enough. No, Fair enough. No if that's the approach we're that. taking, then if we're going chronological, then I guess you're right. All right, just for fun. Yes. Rami, can you name the four presidents? I'm, with, I'm Mount Rushmore? Do not Google. I'm not. You guys can see me you, on video. I'm okay. not going to even go to my computer. You get 60 seconds. So I got Washington and Lincoln, right? Isn't there a Roosevelt up there? Isn't there one of the Roosevelt's up there? Yes. Okay. Which Te- one is Teddy? it? Teddy? Is it Teddy Roosevelt? Yes. All right. And, uh, man, you're 75% of the way home. You're doing good. And also keep in mind, like, you can rule out a large chunk of the presidents because the construction started in 1927. Oh, that helps me because of my depth, my breadth of presidential history knowledge. Um, (laughs) Let me just go back in my memory and consider all the presidents before 1927 because I have that memorized. Here's Um, a hint. You don't remember presidents like Manny remembers Super Bowls? No. I don't remember anything the way Manny remembers Super Bowls. Maybe Seinfeld lines. And I'm okay with that, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think any of you for that. All right, here's a hint. He had gray hair. Oh, gee, oh. thanks. Oh, thanks, man. buddy. Appreciate it. Benjamin is... No, Benjamin Franklin wasn't a president. No. Um, I didn't even say it. I didn't even... I, I started, but stopped myself. Um, uh, Regis, Rami, this Regis is what we Philbin call a no win. Final answer. Um, Rami, this is what we, we call you've been put into the position of no win. <laughs> For the record, had you done this to me, it would be just as uncomfortable. <laughs> I, I can't tell you. I'm not oh, sitting here on the answer. It's not Benjamin Franklin. All right, so we got that. Thomas Jefferson. Hey, Am I the only one who picks this up? Way to go, Rami. Am I the only one who confuses Thomas Jefferson and Benjamin Franklin? Ah, they're both from, you know, a long time ago. And- Hold on. It's Lefty Grove, Ty Cobb, Babe Ruth. <laughs> should have been a baseball Mount Rushmore. That's what it should have been. <laughs> you know what? If, if Hannes Wagner. If a baseball team was smart... You know how you know you know how in Kansas City they have like the mountainscape yeah. over the center field wall. How has no baseball team put a Mount Rushmore of their franchise Angels could do it over too. one of the center field walls yet in their stadium with all the wacky things that we've seen that yeah. ri- that hideous sculpture in Miami at their stadium? How has nobody put up a Mount Rushmore of their franchise over the center field wall in Major League Baseball yet? Time to do it right now, right? Yeah. It's it, the, Mar- the, the the Marlins would be the team to do it, right? Who would be on the Marlins Mount Rushmore though? Jonathan, hit the intro again. <laughs> hit the intro again. Mount Rushmore is easy. It's the cliche Mount Rushmore sports <laughs> talker of the week with Mackie, Judd, and Rami. That is why I would put him on the Mount Rushmore. Those would be my four. <laughs> the problem is the two the two seasons in which they won the World Series. And by the way, they've never won a division, but they have two World Series wins, which is amazing. <laughs> like all the players on those teams are like one year guys, right? Wait, 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 wait. I have your guy. I know. I know. They're George Washington. Okay, go ahead. Jeff Conine. Jeff Conan, probably right. Charles Johnson, the catcher, he's a good catcher. Yeah, love Charles Johnson. Charles Johnson was great. <laughs> now Dontrell Willis, how long was he there? I, that, I was just he gonna was say. Trial. I was just gonna say, kind of a shooting star. He was here and then he was gone. But did anybody get more pub for Marlins oh, baseball you know, than Dontrell Willis? You know who I got with the wacky windup? 
Juan Pierre, because he could be on yeah, everybody's, because he played for every stinking team but the Twins. Actually, could you just put Juan Pierre and Luis Castillo as like kind of a Siamese twin head on the Mount Rushmore of the Marlins? That'd look really freaky. I loved Juan Pierre, though. Juan Pierre was great, man. He about, was your leadoff Okay, hitter. what about that? Remember that stocky second baseman, Dan Ugla? Oh, yeah. Who hit like 30 home yeah, runs home run. every year? Yeah, I wonder why he hit so many home runs. Plus... <laughs> his head, he looks like a rock, too. He's, yeah, like I, wonder why his head, I wonder why his head looks so big. I think John, Giancarlo Stanton probably has to be on the Marlins' Mount Rushmore. I guess. <laughs> next, sure. up, next up, the Rockies' Mount Rushmore, <laughs> as we continue to tackle the tough subjects. <laughs> Todd Helton, for sure, by the way. Amazing. Todd Helton, slam dunk. Larry Walker, too. Amazing. Oh, Helton and Walker, yeah. That, that's their Larry Washington Walker. and Lincoln. I loved Walker. Dante no doubt. Andres Galarraga. Dante Bichette's another one. I wonder why he was built like that. Vinny Castillo. I remember Andres Galarraga as an expo, guys. Yeah. Big Cat, right? Yeah. The Big Cat? That's what they call it. Love him. the Big Cat. Mm. Love the Big Cat. Played for, uh, did he play for St. Louis underrated. as well, Rami? Uh, I thought he played for the Cardinals, Rami. Maybe. Should, there might have been a short stint there, Should we talk about the Cardinals? That's all right. We don't have to do that. Cardinals baseball? Man, how about the 90s Pirates, you guys? The 90s Pirates. Pirates. Mount Rushmore. (laughs) Never forget the 90s Pirates fell. Mount Rushmore's easy. It's the cliche Mount Rushmore sports talker of the week with Maggie, Judd, and Rami. That is why I would put him on the Mount Rushmore. Those would be my four. Doug Drabeck. Andy Van Slyke. Doug Drabeck, I liked him. <laughs> Early 90s Barry Bonds before he went to the... Uh, skinny Barry. Giants. Small, head very small. Jim Leland. Jim Leland. You gotta put Jim Leland on there, or right? It, or do we move Bonds off and oh, put Jim Leland no. and Jim Leland's ashtray? Tom Prince. Tom Prince played for the Pirates? The great catcher Tom Prince, yeah, he did. Tom Prince? I owned him in rotisserie one year. Amazing. Hmm. It's come to that. Let's let's explore Judd Zolgad's nineteen ninety rotisserie baseball teams. I made some great draft picks too. Our secondary phase, fifteen rounds. I knew my minor leagues. You thought no one cared about your fantasy teams before. <laughs> Check out this new segment. <laughs> Judd, who are, Judd, who are like your four favorite fantasy players you've ever owned in baseball? Mount Rushmore. Baby. It's the cliche Mount Rushmore sports talker of the week with Mackie, Judd, and Ron. That is why I would put him on the Mount Rushmore. Those would be my four. My favorite player of all time. I'm going to give you one. That I own. We're doing this. We're doing this. The, my favorite player this. of all time because he was so damn good that he was worth the price. Greg Maddox. Wow. Absolutely dominated everybody. Oh, yeah. Yeah. oh Greg no Maddox. I mean, it was unbelievable. Yep. Greg Maddox would never work today because the umpires have to actually be held accountable to the corners. Right? Okay. Like, Greg Maddox would never be as successful so, in today's era. So, last week, MLB Network showed 86, 85. I think it was the 1986 Mets home opener, Doc Gooden, and I think that was Gary Carter's first game as a Met against uh, the Cardinals, all right? Tim McCarver, the analyst. I kid you guys not, is explaining halfway through the game, because somebody had come over from the American to the National League, he is explaining the difference, because that's back in the days of the umpires being exclusive to one league, the difference between the American League strike zone and the National League strike zone. And what he said was, the American League um, worked above the catcher, and I think they had those big protectors, so they'd be looking down so you wouldn't get the low strike. The National League umps didn't use the bubble protector as much, 
And he literally talks about, and so these umps, they call it right in the slot because they can see because they got between the catcher and down in that slot. So he's literally explaining the difference. Same sport, same professional baseball, right? Between the American and National League strike zones. Think about that for a second. And this is where we've come right here. This is, this, is, this is quarantine life without sports. Greg Maddox. I kind of love this segment. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> it is fun. kind of love it. Did Tom- you guys... Tomorrow the 80s. I don't know where this originated from, but did you guys... I think it's Adam Amin from ESPN. Yes. He just sent a photo out. It's a uh, it's a screen capture of a Zoom chat. Yeah, I saw this. It's and I asked Adam him- Amin with eight dog mascots from colleges. I- literally with like Bulldogs, Fresno State... The Washington, no, I'm sorry, the Yukon Husky. Nice. The Butler Bulldog, the Bryant Bulldog, the Western Illinois Bulldog. Are they Bulldogs? Not sure. He got eight different Bulldog mascots. I tweeted at Adam and asked, how do I get in on this? I'm a good boy. Why can't I get in on this? I'm a good boy. Who's a good good co-host? You're a good co-host? I need a dog biscuit to get in on that Zoom call. This is great. Who's a good boy? All right, when we come back, in other news, including some good news for thirsty Minnesotans during this quarantine, and we will uh, see if Rami's good question can get on the board here as well after we talk about Federated Mutual Insurance Company. Federated would love to express their gratitude for one thing that remains true during these tough times, your American spirit. Thank you to our medical professionals and our rescue workers for your service You've done so much over the past few weeks, and you will continue to do a lot for us in the coming weeks and months. Uh, Thank you to our local businesses. You are our community partners, our neighbors, our families, and our friends. And when you need Federated, Federated is here to help. You can visit federatedinsurance.com or call your local marketing representative to access trusted resources you may need. Resources like written pandemic policies and procedures, Recommended response plans, communications to employees, which could change by the day, certainly changing by the week and by the month right now. Federated Mutual Insurance Company. It's their business to protect yours. Mackie and Judd with Rami here on Score North. Jonathan here with the Score North download. Game 163, the 06 Twins, the 09 Vikings, Parisian Suter, and KG's Wolves. You can relive them all and more this Sunday from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. with a Minnesota Sports Rewind Marathon right here on Score North on AM 1500, scorenorth.com, and the free Score North mobile app. Minnesota Sports Rewind is available wherever you get your podcasts over at scorenorth.com right now. We've got two Vikings slash NFL related series going on right now. The first one, Judd Zolgad's going through draft memories. He's on part four, this time looking at a very depressing draft if you're a Minnesota Vikings fan, looking at the 05 Vikings draft and how that one played out for the Vikings. Hint, not well. Go check that out for free over at scorenorth.com, as well as Matthew Collar's 20 Greatest Journeyman Quarterback Seasons of All Time. He's on Chapter 2. If you need a long read, sit down and enjoy this piece from Matthew Collar and Pro Football Focus's Eric Eager as they put together a very extensive list of the twenty top 20 quarterbacks, top 20 journeyman quarterback seasons of all time, going through quarterbacks 15 through 11 in Chapter 2. Chapter 1 is available over at scorenorth.com for free as well, and the free Scorenorth mobile app. That's from your Scorenorth download. Now back to Mackie and Judith Rami. All right, in the biggest upset in 
sports radio history. We're getting feedback on the Marlins Mount Rushmore saying that we've missed a name. We got an email from Scott and several tweets. Miguel Cabrera on the Mar- oh, Marlins Mount Rushmore. Hold on, guys. No, you know what? Miguel Cabrera has to be on there, but you know who else has to be on there? Who's that? Moise Salou. No, I feel like he's more on the on the expos. He could be Mount on Rushmore. multiple ones. Can you be on more than one Mount Rushmore? I think so. Sure. Yeah, we make the rules. Toughened up his hands. <laughs> we all know that about Moises. Those hands. You guys ever calluses? You guys ever try to pee on your hands to toughen them up? Or tried to? No. <laughs> There's a story here, and now I need to know. No, I've never done it. You thought about it. I wouldn't do it during coronavirus. <laughs> It's ammonia kills everything. It's, it's your own pee, man. If you I learned anything from Bear Grylls, it's that ammonia kills anything, and when in doubt, pee on it. Whoa, now I feel like there is something That was here. clean enough. I'm using that for a drop. Well, can we hear more? That's also R. Kelly's month. Yep. <laughs> All righty, then. On that note. Auto smoothly transition out of that. Before we get to in other news. All right, Jonathan, roll tape here. Rami has brought a good question submission to the show here. And I think we should take it away for that comment the, alone. The evidence. All right, this is from Score North Live today, Rami. Yes, sir. I was talking with uh, Andrew Brandt every Thursday on uh, Score North Live. It's weekdays, noon to two, by the way. You can listen to it anytime you want. ScoreNorth.com and the Score North app. We do a segment called Dumb It Down, where we take some of the uh, harder to understand topics in sports and try to be better informed more educated sports fans since we have time to do so and andrew brandt joined us today to try and explain nfl salary caps contract structures the cba all the financials of the nfl okay talk with andrew brandt of the mmqb and executive director of the murad center at villanova he's given us a lesson in nfl financials when a team does approach a player to restructure to free up more money under the salary cap what is the benefit to the player when they when they agree to that and and decide to 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 do what the team needs to to free up the money from a financial perspective? What is their benefit for it? That's a good question. You know, and yeah. all right, bam, there it is, indisputable. Oh, evidence. wait, Judd is wait, Judd's disputing this. Judd has passed dispute? me a note. Can you read this? I, I don't know if I put Not this in front really? of the screen. No, I can't. This is a well-known friend of yours. Not friend. Who you go back with quite a ways. Not friend. Professional acquaintance. Right, and I'm not... I've interviewed him a few dozen times. But you have his cell phone. I had no contact with him beforehand. I will show you my phone. Declan was the one who lined up the interview. Wait, having their phone number is constitution... Like, that constitutes being disqualified from the good question standings? I'm just bringing up the I'll show you my text history with Andrew Brand, if I must. I have... There's no communication between us whatsoever today. Roger wouldn't trust you. I think it's legit. Thank you. I think it's legit. Appreciate it. And that puts Rami at five good questions on the season here. I have ten, Judd with seven, Rami five, Jonathan with three, and uh, what are we? We're, we're about just tightening up. We're four I love that Mackey's so. putting up Barry Bonds numbers, and you're trying to pick at me. Like, I'm cheating. Hey, you know what? I just you got uh, the wrong guy here, man. The University right. of Minnesota. Hey, Mackie tried to call a shot. You're going after the slap hitter because he Mac- hit one over the Mackie wall. Mackie tried to call a shot t- today and fell short so of the that's warning That's the track. University of Minnesota Journalism School so that Sage, has me leading the so, good questions. So, standard. Sage, you were such a, good, such a good player, and I put you in Canton personally, but let me ask you this question. You know, if you could uh, bring back one person from the dead to talk to quarterback-wise. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's... Let's, uh, let's do Tittle. this, Jonathan. Let's do it. In other news, 
Ah, yes, in other news, we take a break from all the hard-hitting sports talk that we bring you here on Score North and bring you some of the more weird and wacky news from around the world, including Cincinnati. The new intro should be... In other news, where we just have a random transition sounder from the guys that brought you the Marlins, Mount Rushmore, comes some wacky stuff. This comes from Cincinnati, guys, and uh, let me make sure I have the TV network right. This is WLWT Channel 5 in Cincinnati, and a young lady in Norwood, Ohio, was having a problem, so she decided to call up 911 and see if they could help her out. Jonathan? Bernadette Music from Norwood is charged with disorderly conduct. Police say two weekends ago she called 911 at least four times looking for a date. When police showed up to talk to her about a document show, she refused to answer the door, then urinated in the hallway outside her apartments. She was arrested at the time. <laughs> I don't know why she'd have trouble finding a date, guys, especially when, if you will look at our video chat. Hang on one sec. I didn't. That's her right there. Oh, <laughs> oh wow. Oh, my. Okay. <laughs> How would you explain that to the audience? Um, uh, Gary Busey <laughs> standing in front of a jet propeller. Sort of combined Gary with Buse- Alice from the Brady Bunch. I was going to say Gary Busey and Roseanne Barr had a daughter. <laughs> And she's standing in front of a very high-powered fan. Wow. That's probably the best way to describe it. So, so she was quarantined probably long before quarantine life started for the rest of us. Probably. All right, ma'am, this is like the fourth time you called. Maybe try Tinder or something. Oh, my. Bernadette. Her name is Bernadette Music? Is that really her name? Yeah. Bernadette Music. Yeah. That's an amazing name. In other news. Amazing. You just ruined my evening. <laughs> I just want to go home and get under covers now. In other news, this is from all kinds of news outlets. I'm reading this story from ESPN.com. Gentlemen, WWE Hall of Famer Howard Finkel has died at the age of 69 years old. Yeah, man, that's sad. The iconic ring announcer made his debut for the WWWF in 1977. Wait, there were three W's at one point? There were. It was, I believe it was the Worldwide Wrestling Federation at one point in the 70s. And Vince McMahon Jr. came in and said, let's just simplify it to WWF. And then they got sued by the World Wildlife Foundation in the late they, 90s. They gave that up quick, didn't they? Yeah, they did. Like, that didn't last a long time. I was no, shocked didn't want to fight that. that. Uh, so, anyways, Howard Finkel was the main ring announcer from the late 70s all the way into the 2000s. And he's famous for, if you see people during even, like, boxing matches or mixed martial arts matches, people tweeting or saying, And new World Wrestling Federation. This is Howard Finkel. The winners of this bout and new. Howard Finkel, man. A lot of us grew up on Howard Finkel. I think he is one of the... You've got Howard Finkel, if there's another Mount Rushmore here, of ring announcers. Well, hold on, you got to open. you got your Michael Buffer, Bruce Buffer combo. Mount Rushmore is easy. It's the cliche Mount <laughs> Rushmore sports talker of the week with Mackie, Judd, and Rami. That is why I would put him on the Mount Rushmore. Those would be my four. I don't know all of them historically, but I know you need a Buffer and you need a Howard Finkel. 
And then you guys can fight among mean, the other two spots. Mean Gene fit into that genre? Mean Gene was more of a commentator. Okay. I, he was he, he did some ring announcing, but Mean Gene was more like backstage interview guy. Howard sure. Finkel was in the ring and just busting out the big voice before and after matches. Hmm. So, I can't even think of a fourth one. Do we need a fourth one? Let's just go with the buffers and Finkel. He also was on at one point that VH1 show where they put a bunch of like D-list celebrities. I think Howard in Finkel. A house. Was? I'm pretty sure Howard Finkel was. He was really. He was on a VH1 reality show at one point. It wasn't one of the recovery ones, was it? The Doctor Drew. No. Like, actually, maybe he was just not like WWE did a version of like put D-list old wrestlers and stuff in a house. He might have been on that. He was on a reality show. In other news, rest in peace, Fink. <sighs> This uh, this comes from Maryland, and it, the lead is no nudes would be good news for the officers of Taney Town Police Department in Maryland. It seems that someone is making life hard for the officers based on a cryptic Facebook post the department posted on Monday, which read, please remember to put pants on before leaving the house to check your mailbox. <laughs> you, know who, you know who you are. This is real. This is your final warning. Um, I'm just going to scroll down here because there, there's more, but it, it's not that good. Uh, the the local ABC affiliate WMAR was unable to uncover the identity of the alleged nude suspect when it interviewed, because they actually went out and talked to people in the uh, Taney Town area. However, they did note that the reaction the Post has received um, suggests that there will be many more people on the lookout now for somebody who is not wearing pants. Okay, And now I've got to admit, with the way things are going... I might be close to that, but I don't think I would completely forget to put on pants. Have people really? Has this devolved this much in six weeks? Or yes. people are just yes. not? Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. It really Absolutely. Has. Yes. Rami's right. It's really devolved. I told you, I haven't buttoned pants since we started this thing. Yeah, me neither. I mean, I'm wearing pants, but I haven't buttoned pants since we started this thing. I can't see myself stepping outside the house without something to cover up a little bit, but yeah, it's devolved a lot. How um, yes, aware are you? Like, you get out of the shower... Walking around the house, the apartment, whatever the case might be, while you're getting dressed, how aware are you of like the window situation when you're doing that? Are you? Because I'm pretty right. paranoid about that. So I am. I've made the mistake. So we just moved into a new place a few months ago. About to get your answer. For like ten years at two different places, I didn't have to worry about that at all. I had a condo downtown Minneapolis that faced the river. Yep. And like you just, there was no way you could, unless you had binoculars across the river and you were looking into a specific. <laughs> and if like you worked it that hard, floor. enjoy the show, exactly. right? Exactly. exactly. And I just I'll did that it, once. Okay. Flex for you. I, I did that once. Yeah. It was a pain, right? So like, didn't have to think about it for the six years we lived there. The next place we had also faced the river, and like, you could if I, like, people would walk by on the sidewalk, but it was mostly like you know you're pretty free to do what you want, right? Sure. This place, there's. A good 10 to 15 different apartment units and also a hotel nearby that can definitely see in. And I forget about that at least once or twice a week. Yep. Easily forget about it. The blinds aren't down? Well, we keep the blinds up to keep some sunshine My in so not go crazy. Constantly. I hate the blinds being up. What? Even on a sunshiny day? Dawn likes them up. I prefer them down. <laughs> when it's 75 and sunny. Well, I guess, And you're yeah. quarantined. Yeah, but I'm not going out. But I mean, out of the shower, in the morning, blinds are all down. Then, then they might go up around noon or so. Right. Rami, it sounds like it's a problem for you then? 
it can be. But you're my, paranoid. Because my, my windows and my patio, they face the courtyard of my apartment building. So literally, the whole courtyard can see oh, and every, every other apartment that faces the courtyard, which is half the building, can probably see into my windows if they're looking. And I'm not always that conscientious about it. And uh, yeah, a few people have probably gotten a bit of a show. Question. How long after a shower do you guys go before immediately... Getting like boxers on, it's the like it depends. Like, literally, the first thing I do. Me yeah. too. Like I'm out of the shower before I get out of the bathroom. I got pants on. See, like I'm never, I'm never flapping in the wind. I told you guys, <laughs> ever doesn't happen. Jesus. It doesn't it happen. Is a I needed. Um, I've told you guys before about my self care Sunday routine, oh. where um, every other Sunday I will give myself a full manicure and uh, lotion up head to toe, give myself a good shave. You know, just. Take care of yourself, Wait. right? Uh, what? What? What do you mean? Get, you have a what? beard. What do you mean? Give yourself a. F- you know, yeah. How much can you shave? I trim the beard and shave other parts. Oh, boy, are we finding out. What's the next story? <laughs> Wait, I feel like we're burying the lead. What's the next story? Do you have special... <laughs> we're burying the lead on purpose, Ken. We but, don't um, need to go into that. But when I do that, all, all I'm wearing is... Like, while I'm doing the manicure, all I'm wearing is a robe. And then when it's time to lotion up head to toe, clothes are just going to get in the way, guys. So I don't get dressed until I've done the whole self-care routine. In other news... <laughs> This comes from Pittsburgh. <laughs> really learning how to transition out of things today. Other news. We're 93-year-old. The Angels, Mount Rushmore. 93-year-old Olive Veronesi went viral last week after a CNN Pittsburgh affiliate KDKA shared a photo of her with a Coors Light in hand and a plea written on a whiteboard, I need more beer, all capital letters, two exclamation points. The photo taken by one of Veronesi's family members was shared more than five million times, and thanks to Coors Light, lovely old Miss Veronesi now has 150 ice-cold beers, and she doesn't have to pass them around to anybody uh, when we saw Olive's message, we knew we had to jump at the chance to not only connect with someone who brought a smile to our faces during this pandemic, but also gave us a special opportunity to say thanks for being a Coors Light fan, a Molson Coors spokesperson told CNN. Even in the pre-COVID era, we would have been thrilled to fulfill Olive's request. She says, I was on my last 12 cans. <laughs> <laughs> hey, this, I feel her pain. Man. Yeah, I've been there. I feel her pain. I've been there, Olive. Yeah. She said, and tell me. Tell me you can't hear this in Judd Zolgad's voice. I was on my last 12 cans. I have a beer every night. You know what? Beer has vitamins in it. It's good for you, as long as you don't overdo it, said Miss Veronesi. Hey, what's the lie? What's the lie? <laughs> Does beer it. have vitamins in it? Yeah, yeah, it's got some, oh, some grains. Absolutely. Sure? It's vitamin C, man. It kills yeah. germs, too. It's alcohol. Some vitamin B? <laughs> I don't know. In other news. Not sure. Speaking of, good transition here. This is from St. Paul, Minnesota. Minnesota lawmakers reached an agreement Wednesday night, last night, on a bill that allows restaurants to sell one bottle of wine and 72 ounces of beer, cider, or seltzer, a six-pack, with an order of takeout food. Senator Karen Housley says restaurants have taken a big financial hit during COVID-19. She said, quote, we need to help them out somehow. And this is one little addition. I don't know if it's really going to make a huge difference with how they've been devastated lately, but every little bit can help. Now that you can, I don't know when this goes into effect here, but um, 
Are you guys excited to not only be able to order takeout, which we have been doing two or three times a week, we but you can also get a little bottle of wine and some I got a question about some this. other stuff. Can you can you go and pick this up and put it in the coaster by as you're driving home? It just says under the agreement the alcohol must be sold in its original unopened packaging. So as long as it's not open, open, okay. So I can't. So you'll get buy a, a bottle of wine. Gotcha, still okay. Have you guys seen some restaurants? I know Red Cow is one of the ones that are doing it. Some restaurants that have like signature cocktails. Yes, they're selling like a cocktail kit. So they'll give you all the components to it in different cups and containers for you to take home really? and mix yourself. Yes. I don't know if I can replicate the amazing Red Rabbit Manhattan in my own I think that's kitchen, one of the ones that they that they are selling. It's pretty, that's in a, a pretty in a cocktail drink. kit. Charcuterie plate, man, oh, from that place. Mm. The Red Rabbit charcuterie mm. I played. I, that's, that might be the first mm, thing some I go get. Maybe. That is on my Mount Rushmore of restaurant <laughs> foods. Mount Rushmore is easy. It's the Shane Mount Rushmore Sports Talker of the Week with Maggie, Judd, and Rami. That is why I would put him on the Mount Rushmore. Those would be my four. At least of appetizers. That is, By that, the way, in that two, is a in, killer charcuterie In two point. months, this is going to be our entire show every day. Mount Rushmore is easy. <laughs> <laughs> Until we just run out of things to rank. In other news, right, back to Judd. I'm out. Rami? Oh, go ahead, Rami. Uh, this is from a uh, a Twitter follow called Relationships Text. And people share stories of relationships on there. It's kind of a long one, but follow along with me here, ladies and gentlemen. Hello. With all that is going on, we have stocked up on supplies, including some canned goods. I ordered a few weeks ago 30 cans of beans. 10 are black beans, 10 are kidney beans, and 10 are pink beans. Also, I ordered 15 cans of chickpeas. I thought this a reasonable amount of beans and chickpeas to have every now and then and would last for quite some time. However, last night I opened the cabinet because I wanted to make a vegetarian chili, gross, using two cans of beans, but all of the beans were gone. What the hell? I asked my girlfriend and she told me she buried all of the beans in the woods. At first, I thought she was what? joking, but she explained, no, she had buried the beans in the woods. WTF. I asked her to explain, and she told me she was afraid that, quote, if things get bad, we might have to worry about looters or whatever, and that the beans would oh, be boy. in danger of being stolen. Oh. I said I thought this yeah. was completely ridiculous and unlikely. She became angry at me, and she said she is, quote, protecting our beans. According to her logic, the beans are safely buried in the woods behind our apartment complex, and if we ever need some beans, she will go to the, quote, stash and dig up a can or two, but would prefer if we say the, save them all for, quote, yeah. if things get worse. Because if you're a looter, the number one thing you're interested <laughs> wow. in is 10 cans of pinto beans. Dude <laughs> broke up with her, right? <laughs> um, we'll get there, Judd. I said, oh, I said why only bury the beans? Why not bury our more valuable items? She said the canned food was most valuable for long-term means, and that since we get fresh food in our online grocery deliveries, it would make sense to continue to stockpile beans she intends to go bury more beans in the woods every week. This was too insane for me, and I got very upset. I demanded to know where the beans were buried, and she refused to tell me. She said if I knew, she was afraid I'd dig them up. I said, damn right I would. She said, quote, I will never jeopardize the beans. I crossed the line and said she was out of her mind. She stormed away. We have not talked since last night. I think it is completely ridiculous to bury the beans in the woods, and I want to find them and dig them up, but if Apparently, my girlfriend is taking this very seriously. How can I convince her to tell me where 
where the beans are, and do you think I should convince her to get therapy or something, <laughs> yeah, or yes. should I just you break think? up with her? <laughs> yes. So confused. Is this oh. normal for a girlfriend to bury beans or otherwise hide them? Uh, and then he updated it. My girlfriend buried the beans in the wood and not tell me where they are. Sounds like a country song, first of all. <laughs> My girlfriend buried the beans. Okay, that is absolutely crazy. And I think that this guy should be very concerned for his own health. I'm out. Oh, yeah. Wouldn't you be worried? Yes. I'd be worried she's going to kill me. And I mean, like, my current girlfriend, who I've been with for four years, if she starts burying beans, I'm out. It's just over. <laughs> it's but you think it's it's harder now to... My marriage would be done if that happened, Rami, so I don't blame you. It's harder now to break up with someone, I would think, right? Because, like, you can't just... Take them out. Can you just like go live somewhere else? Like, how does that even work? If you want to go get a new apartment, I suppose you could. There's probably well, you could go get an apartment. Where yeah, I see people apartment. taking tours around my building, looking looking for a new place that to live. It doesn't feel like a safe. Probably They're walking not. too close to you. Send me some pictures. Oh, no, no, I okay. stay far away. <laughs> Amazing. In other news, that is, that is in other news wow. where we take a break from the hard hitting sports conversations of the day here on Mackie and Jeb with Rami, like Marlins Mount Rushmores. Do we have any other suggestions for the Marlins? No, Mount just, Rushmore? just those. That, that was that was enough. That was enough. We did forget. Can I, can I can I make a case for Edgar Renteria? I'm sure you could. We'll, you have a pretty we'll big consider and get back to you tomorrow. Yeah, we With should revisit tomorrow. this tomorrow, guys. We'll, we should definitely we'll, revisit this. We'll do tomorrow. a Friday Fun Day segment. We didn't even open up phone lines for Marlins Mount Rushmore. What were we thinking? <laughs> they were open. <laughs> Thanks, Jonathan. <laughs> You like that tweet, Sid, says there's a man outside my house trying to take pictures of and capture squirrels with a camera, cat carrier, and net. He's also chain-smoking. This is corroborated by my friend who lives down the block. What? What is happening? I don't know. I have no idea you like that. Good luck, man. You might want to call the police next. <laughs> Coronavirus. Forget about everybody. us. Call 911. You can find Mackie and Jeb with Rami on demand on the Score North app, Apple, or Spotify. Please give us a five-star review and uh, say something nice about us in the comments there. As always, In Other News is powered by Josh Arnold Investments. We'll see you guys tomorrow for Action Movie Rewind Friday. Mm, and now it's time to talk to Mr. Money Talk, Josh Arnold, where you always get straight talk, not sugarcoat advice. You can get that straight talk by calling Josh direct. His number, 952-925-5608. Or you can listen to Josh right now with the Market Minute. Hi, Josh. Hi, Judd. Sectors matter. Sectors matter. Just keep that in your head. The other thing that matters is the Fed matters, sectors matter, and certain themes definitely matter. We've been talking about the stay-at-home, work-at-home theme, and that continues to power power the market. The Dow did finish up 30, 33 points, but that is going to be a prelude to what could be a big Friday, despite some negative uh, economic news on both the jobs front, the housing front, and the manufacturing front. The market did power, power upwards, but again, focusing in on certain sectors, not the entire market. So pay attention to that. Sectors working, again, technology, construction, Consumer-related uh, staples definitely worked. Healthcare started to, to work, and tomorrow could be a big lead on the backs of Gilead's 
uh, news related to a a possible drug for this coronavirus. Amazon, Netflix hit new highs. Akamai, which powers up the internet, hit a new high today. Walmart, stay-at-home company, hit a new high today. And for Judd, because you're such an indoor exerciser, I know you've got a Peloton in your house. Absolutely. And that hit a new high as people can't go to the gyms. They buy a Peloton, pay that monthly uh, subscription uh, to that. The stay-at-home concept continues to work. We use that here for our clients' portfolios. And that concept has powered them to positive returns year-to-date versus the S&P 500, which is still down 14.7% uh, for, the, for the year. If you'd like to find out some more how this might apply to you, give me a call at the office, 952-925-5608. You always get straight talk, not sugar-coated advice. Investment advisor services offered by Josh Arnold Investment Consultant, LLC, a registered advisor in the state of Minnesota. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All investments involve risk.